Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. If for some reason they thought during a COVID season that would not be a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm over COVID. Let's just start spitting watermelon seeds everywhere. How many say amen to that? Amen. Let's spit some watermelon seeds. I got two Bibles up here. You better be hanging on for your dear life now, okay? Here we go. You're ready. We've been talking about the God of the covenant. And as I study, I love it when I'm in the middle of a series, which is usually always, and I study and it's just the download that I'm getting into my own heart brings joy and and uh, just the grace of God, and I get excited about what I'm studying about. And every time I come across this, we're talking about the covenant God and the fact that he gave me a choice. It's so important to remember that, that he wanted us to have choice because that's true love. And I just think, if I was God, I would have never gave me choice. I wouldn't have given it to you either. <laughs> I would say, yeah, this is what you're going to do. You're going to love me, and this is how you're going to live. But he gave us choice, and in giving us choice, of course, we could choose good, we could choose bad. And Adam, unfortunately, uh, in that first covenant was the covenant in Eden that God made with his people, that I will have a people. That's God's first covenant. I will have a people. They will have a choice. We will live together in relationship in this sort of Garden of Eden type place. And then, but one thing, your choice is don't eat of that tree, and he ate of the tree. And so what happened was the innocent, he only knew the innocence, Adam and they knew the innocence, the good of everything, uh, sexual intimacy, uh, all, you know, friendship. They knew the good of all that. Well, when he, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil opened up a whole new world, that, man, when that world opened up, it got bad. Like, the choice that we could make, the choice of evil. And so we see, as we've been talking about the God of the covenant, that was the first covenant. And then we finally get to the covenant with Noah. And um, Noah is there and God looks down to the earth and he, and he sees what man has become. And it's an interesting scripture because as he sees it, it says he was sorrowful, he relented, he was sorry that he made man. And um, I, I, always, I was thinking through this when I was studying, I thought, I wonder how many of the most evil people that you can think about, later on did their families go, you know, I don't know about this. Like, I, I wish, I'm really sorry this happened. But in the moment, when you're carrying the child. And in the moment of conception, there's joy. And I think it's the same thing, that same feeling of God, that there's this moment of conception and knowing that we could do, do bad, but not really understanding it until he sees it. I mean, he, hear me out, okay? You know, I know he's all-knowing, but I'm just saying is, seeing, seeing your children do evil, knowing they could do it, and seeing them do it, two different things. That's what I'm saying, is that with that moment when God sees, wow, you are, you are doing this to innocent people. His heart breaks. And uh, so he finds one righteous man, Noah, and he says, I'm going to do a reboot. And he does a reboot with Noah. And of course, Noah, the righteous man, creates. And then mankind, after that, never fell again. <laughs> and never did anything bad again. That's not true, of course, right? But God has his covenant. And the covenant is, I will have a people. I will be in relationship with my people. They will be mine. They will know my voice. We will have a relationship. So now we're going to get to the third covenant we're going to talk about. God begins to narrow the field a little bit, if you will. He says, I'm going to have a people, but I'm going to bring it from one tribe. Um, and so we get to the covenant with, with Abraham, because um, God's going to have 
a covenant. The God of the covenant won't allow sin and disobedience to stop the covenant. And that's what we learned from Noah is it doesn't matter how depraved that world and, let me say, this world right now, it doesn't matter how depraved we become, um, God will have a people. His covenant will stay true. It can't stop it. So now we see the third covenant we're going to talk about, and it's in Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, or we'll have it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, it's always better because you can sort of make some notes or write things down. And I always think of my Bible as, as, a, as a manual to be underlined and write notes in, and, and then you, you store that one, and you keep it, and you get a new one, then you go look back and all the things that God spoke to you from years ago, and it's just a, it's a good thing to do. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, his name was Abram. I might mix it up a lot before it became Abraham. And Abraham added the name of God to his name. But the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will, this is the covenant, make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this covenant. Now I'm going to have a people from a tribe, and he calls Abram out. And he says, you will have a whole nation out of your offspring. You, you will give birth to this. The problem is it took a while. How many of you know when God gives a promise or a covenant, and it takes a while, you begin to... Doubt. We're talking today, you begin to take things into your own hands. You try to manipulate the situation. And we find out just a chapter later, and of course, you know, that's not, the chapters could be years apart, but Abram goes out with his family and he gets to going to Egypt. And he has this promise from God. He gets to Egypt and he tells his wife, Sarai at the time, that was her name. Again, she gets her name changed to Sarah because they add the name of God to it later on. But he says to Sarah, hey, when we go to Egypt, tell them you're my sister. Because if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. But he has a promise, doesn't he? He has a covenant. I'm going to make you a great nation. Like, you and Sarah are going to have children. But in that moment, he's so afraid of what might happen to him, he doesn't live in that covenant moment. And he begins to say, I've got to take control. I've got to make sure we're protected. I want to live on. So he gives his wife up to another man who takes her into his house and she becomes his, one of his wives. And a pestilence comes down on the, on the nation of Egypt because of what they have done. And finally, the Pharaoh understands what's going down and he gives her back to Abram. He said, why in the world would you even do that? Like, this guy's like, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you put your wife through that? This is a guy that's got a covenant. Friend. He put his wife through that. That's not a great way to treat your wife. Um, and so, you know, you have to ask the question, is God going to make you a great nation or not? So he gets to that place. Now, it's interesting that as we go along the story a little bit, God comes back in chapter 15 and reiterates... <laughs> The covenant with Abraham. Like, so, so all this stuff is going on. So finally it says in verse 1, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. <laughs> Stop being afraid, man. I am your shield. Your very great reward. 
But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remained childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, not even my own child. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. He's a little upset about this whole thing because he's got this, this promise and it's not happening. He says, And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to them, So shall your offspring be. And Abram, very interesting, believed the Lord, and he was credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him from righteousness. Uh, it's interesting because the New Testament actually talks about this. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to read you a little Romans 4 here, all right? Um, it says this, Abram, this first one, was, was humanly speaking the founder of our Jewish nation. This is the NLT version, sorry. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have said something to boast about. But, now, that was not God's way, for the scripture tells us Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness because of his faith. Interesting, all his actions said just the opposite. His actions said just, I don't believe this, but his heart did believe it because Abraham takes things into his own hands all the time. So I'm skipping down. It says, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. And spiritually, he's the father of the nation that we're a part of, the, the Christian nation. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, so are you. You guys remember that little song? So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm. <laughs> father, <laughs> father Abraham. So um, this is the only reason some people come. I have to throw that in every time. This happened because Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life. And who creates, I love this, new things out of nothing. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. The reason I want to read that story is the stories we're talking about right now had nothing to do with Abraham's faith. He believed it was going to happen. He just thought God needed a hand. That God needed him to intervene. That wasn't happening fast enough. And there are plenty of people that I know that believe in God or they believe in God's ways or they're having hope or a promise. But for some reason, somehow in the middle of that, they take things into their own hands. Not because of a disbelief. It's because I have to help out God. And we see that in Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. Abraham and Sarah decide they're going to help out God. And Sarai, Abraham's wife had borne him no children. <laughs> but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. 
go sleep with my slave, perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abram, of course, agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai's wife took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. And when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. There was tension now. There was a problem when they took things into their own hands. And Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And Abram says, your slave is in her hands. Do with her whatever you think best. And Sarah began to mistreat Hagar, and so she fled and left. And we know the story says later on that, that the angel came to Hagar and said, go back. You're going to have a son. His name will be Ishmael. But he gives this prophecy, my angel does, that there is going to be this tension that they're feeling right now between Sarah and Hagar, that the children will feel that for the rest of the generations to come. And if you follow the lineage of um, Ishmael, of the prophet Muhammad will, claims that he is an Ishmaelite, that he's from that lineage. And of course, we know throughout the ages, there has been great conflict between uh, Judaism and, and Muslims, and I mean, extremists and stuff like that. I'm not trying to get into a big argument. I'm just saying this. The thing that they did at that moment and the angel prophesied has happened for, for thousands of years. And it still happens today. There's this contention that when they took things into their own hands, when they thought God needed a hand to get his promise taken care of, this, this, this instance, this, this movement that they made, it impacted everything. And... Um, it had nothing to do with faith. He wasn't patient. This wasn't faith. This was trust. I have faith that God can do it. I don't, I'm not going to trust. I don't have the trust right now that um, he's going to do it when I want him to do it. Like, you know, that J.G. Wentworth commercial, it's my money, and I want it now. You know, Abraham's like, it's my promise, and I want it now. You know, I want a child. <laughs> he wanted it now. Um, and I think when it comes to God's promise and his covenant, many times it's difficult for us to wait for the perfect. You know, you can grab the good and it can be bad because it's not the great. And God has great for us. He has perfect for us. But sometimes we have to wait. And um, Galatians, I, I wish I could tell you that the mistake that they made didn't impact their lives. It did. Um, Galatians 6 talks about this. One of the scriptures that I memory as a young, young man, but it says, this is the New Living Translation. Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. I want every person, if you're younger too, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessings if we do not give up. Abraham and Sarah became weary. They became tired of waiting for God's promise. And God had the right plan. And God had the perfect plan. And they, they came up with their own plan, and it didn't work out very well. 
Um, the scripture says, at the right time, you will reap a harvest if you give up. And the right time came in Genesis chapter 21. Do I have that on the screen? Right up there. So now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. God bless him. Sarah, uh, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Like, I mean, she starts like, like, who's laughing now? I'm 90 and I had a kid. You know, so they're all going to like, oh, well, good for you. And she added, who, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in my old age. Um, and God fulfilled the promise. You know, and she's like walking with a cane in one hand with a stroller in the other. You know what I mean? Sort of just going along there, doing her thing. Um, we find in the scriptures often the concept of waiting for the best, waiting for the perfect, not getting ahead of God, not trying to take things into your own hands. And um, I want to share with you out of James um, sort of this concept, and, and James gives us some ideas of what we should do. But we need to be convinced of this, that, that God is going to fulfill his covenant. He will have a people. Like, he always fulfills his covenant. He will have a people. And, and it doesn't matter what you do. What you do can impact your life, but God will still have the covenant. So James chapter 5 is talking about the return of the Lord. Um, and in that, in James, he's talking about not being weary again in doing what is right. So we're going to be in James chapter 5, verse 7. Talk about this for just a couple minutes. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. I can't emphasize that enough. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. And so he's speaking to them. So I'm going to give you some examples of people who wait, who are patient all the time. Here are these farmers. They endure patiently. They're waiting. And it's, it's circumstances that are out of their control, Right? They don't know when it's going to rain. They can't make rain on their own. They can't make the sunshine on their own. They plant this, the seed, which is a promise. I'm planting corn, and I'm hoping to get corn, but I know during this time I have to pray and hope that God sends the rains. That's my prayer. So I wait patiently in excitement and anticipation that soon I'll be eating corn on the cob with butter you know, smeared all over it. I'm going to have that soon. Some of you know that I'm a farmer. I made a garden in my backyard. And it's been a couple of years, but I created a little, uh, I made it about 
three or four feet up so I didn't have to bend over as much. And I'm going to put stones around it, flagstones around it next year. And I've got all the, the, uh, the bricks in. So I went in and put it in the garden and put in the dirt. And uh, I love to grow tomatoes, like fresh tomatoes, right? They're, you can't beat them. Like I like to grow things that in the store like, eh, but fresh, fresh tomatoes. So I have my tomato plants going and all of a sudden, I realized that they're not getting to ripen. I'm, I'm excited. I'm in anticipation getting fresh tomatoes. And all of a sudden, they're, half of them are gone right before they start to ripen. They're not getting there. So I, I got bird problems. So I create this elaborate, like $200 netting with this PVC pipe to put around my tomatoes. I'm like, I'm going to get some tomatoes now. And all of a sudden, I realized, like, about four or five days later, something has eaten through. This is bird. has, like, torn and chewed through the, the bird netting, and now it's getting through this hole, and they're still eating my tomatoes. So I, there's this, you can get on Facebook, there's a Maricopa County backyards farmer growing type of thing that I'm on. And I put it out there. I was like, what's going on? Like, this, and I showed my bird netting. And they're like, well, maybe you should. I go, no, this is my netting. This is like, you can't get through this. Something's eating this hole. And they're like, oh, you have roof rats. And the roof rats are eating through. So we talked to the pest control people. And they came out and put this little roof rat box so that they wouldn't get in my tomatoes. And so I, I, I take down the bird netting. Because like, okay, I got to do for now. So I buy to keep the birds out. You ever seen those little fruit bags? That you can put them around. They're like gift bags, but they have netting on them, right? They're really, you can put them around and then cinch it, and your tomato is right in that bag. Like, well, I, I, I'll show you. This is what it looks like. So this is what I got. This is like, and there's the cinch, right? You just sort of cinch it. Well, guess what? The birds were like putting holes through my tomato thing. They're eating my tomato stuff. And not only that, because I didn't really tie them, they're picking at the rope. You know how birds put, like, strings in their nest? They're picking at the thing, and it's opening up, and they're sticking their heads in, and they're getting the tomatoes. Yeah, they're in, they're, I'm not getting tomatoes. I have all this anticipation. I planted the seeds. I'm not getting tomatoes. So I buy bigger bags. So I put the tomato in this bag, then I put the tomato in this bag, and now I'm tying them in knots. And I just figure I'll just cut off the tomato when it gets ripe. My cost per tomato is really high. <laughs> like, it's probably like $20 a tomato, whatever I get, right? But I'm going to get a tomato. And so I tie them in knots. It's working. And like, I'm going, tomorrow I'm going to get a ripe tomato. It's red. So I go out the next day, it's gone. <laughs> like the tomato and the bags, like two of them are gone. And I, I told my wife and Judy then in the afternoon, figure out what happened. Now I have to show you a picture. This is what we call baby puppy. This is our baby puppy. This is, our, this is when, this is last like October, September, October. She was, this is Emmy, we call her baby puppy. She was eight weeks old. This is baby puppy a couple months ago. She's bigger than that. She's like 85 pounds at least right now. That's my daughter, Brittany. She's there. And just, yeah, I do too. Right, and just so all the men know here and in YouTube land, she's officially off the market. So... <laughs> 
<laughs> Officially off the market. I won't go any farther than that. But baby Poppy is like 85 pounds. Well, now, because I'd seen some nets on the ground, but now that I'm tying them in knots, she had gone up, bit the netting, pulled the tomato off, and was in the yard chomping through the netting, getting the tomato juice into her mouth. So now I got a dog I have to worry about. <laughs> but apparently they don't like um, squash, because this is my squash. That's the last squash I picked. <laughs> and yes, I hadn't shaved for a couple days, okay? I'm, I'm a farmer. That's what I am. <laughs> I waited for fruit, and I waited for fruit, and I kept getting my tomatoes taken from me. <laughs> and that happens, right? Like you're waiting for that tomato to ripen, and it just doesn't ripen, and when it finally starts to ripen, somebody else takes it. Um, and uh, James says you've got to be like a farmer. And they wait in anticipation. They're excited about it, but they endure in this waiting, hoping and praying the rains come and that God gives the crop. I mean, one of the, one of the ways and areas, I'm just going to say that, that I have my decades of ministry found that people have a really hard time waiting for the perfect when it comes to love. I mean, they really do. You don't have to take the first train that comes through the station, all right? You can wait. And I've heard so many times, I've talked to people and said, I don't know about this. And whenever logic, the, the stronger the logic is against them, the more they, they pull the God card on me. It happens every time. Well, the Lord, I'm like, I don't know if the Lord would do that, right? And I've said no to people who want to get married. Because I've met with them and like, well, you know he's being unfaithful and you know he's sort of abusive. And there's still this one thing in them. And I, I mean, there's this one couple I said, no, I'm not going to do, you got to, I, I won't do it for a whole year, and you got to get counseling. I said, no, no, right? Well, he came back a year later, and like, we're ready to get married. And I'm like, well, let's talk. Did you get counseling? No. Are you doing the same stuff? Yeah. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't put my blessing upon this marriage. This is not the best for you. There is a best for you. You can wait for the best. And it just seems like this impatience where we're trying to manipulate God just happens in love all the time. And I've told people, if you would just wait a little longer... You know, like, wait in anticipation. What if you were single? Okay, I'm talking to single people. And you're like, I can't wait for God's best. I'm not going to settle for good. And it'll happen. I can tell you story after story. I, I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. We had this young lady that came to us from Australia and lived with us for three months, and then we were sending a mission team there. She had been dating this guy, and, and uh, it was just not a good situation. And so... Uh, Judy and I became sort of like a spiritual mom and dad to her, so we went to Australia, and, and she came and lunch with this guy, and the moment they came, all of a sudden her demeanor changed when she was with him. Her head was down, and she, she looked beaten. She wouldn't look me in the eyes, like this girl that we had prayed together and had this conversation with, and I got done with the conversation, and I just felt so nudged by the Lord. I came back to her and I said, hey, listen, I'm not telling you to walk away from this guy. I'm telling you to run from this guy. That's how strong I felt about this. And so when he found that out, then he's like doing all this emotional manipulation. And she, it was like days she wouldn't talk to me. 
And she finally came to me, and again, just this sort of broken, broken self, and she said, um, I just prayed, and the Lord told me, and I don't get it, and I don't agree, but the Lord told me this, you would never do anything to harm me, Pastor Lloyd. And I, I, will, I will do that. I will back off this relationship. And three weeks later, he was living with another girl somewhere else. And so she ends up waiting, and she gets married to a youth pastor. And they live on a farm, and she has horses, which she loves, and they have beautiful children. And it was just a couple months ago. I don't know what happened, but I made a comment on a Facebook page. And her husband wrote, Thank you so much. I can't wait to meet you one day. Because that moment was the moment I said, this is not the best for you. Like you this is not even close. If you'll wait. Like, and she did. And she made a mistake there, and it, it got her a little bit. But she has this great life now with this great family. And she, God redeemed her and got her to this place. And I'm saying, in love especially, if you, make, if you try to take things into your own hands and you don't make the right decision, it could be something that can impact you for the rest of your life. That doesn't mean God doesn't redeem. That doesn't mean God doesn't love. That doesn't mean you don't have faith. You just took this moment. And um, you need to have people in your life so that help you. And that's the next thing that he says. He talks about the farmers. And then he says in verse five, 9, Don't grumble against each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And he says the next example of patience is prophets. Prophets are a little different. They speak to a culture about change. They speak to a future and say, wait. They do it without complaining. The duty of the prophet is to get people to change our behavior and be different. And the problem is, is that people resist change. They, they don't want to wait. And so God says, you know, prophets have patience. They can be misunderstood. And pastors sort of fall in this too. They can be maligned. They can be criticized. They can be unpopular. At times they can be lonely. Their job is to comfort the, uh, you know, to give comfort to the afflicted and give affliction to the comfortable. Get people to move. It's like parenting. It's like leading you speak to a future vision, and in the midst of, of persecution from people, you remain hopeful and peaceful and loving. And when you do that as a prophet, God always brings the best. See, when we, when we are patient and we don't judge and we aren't critical of people, we then can rejoice when God comes true. That's the big thing. Remember Jonah? Jonah and the fish, I believe literally all that happened. Uh, but he had to go to Nineveh, and he was rejecting it. He didn't want to do that. And God says, go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh, and he preaches, and he, he steps away from the situation, and they repent. He didn't want them to repent. He had judged them, like these, these ungodly people. And so God has this conversation with them, like, this is why you're here. But when you judge, and when you're harsh, and you're hammering, and you want to see God's best in somebody's life, and it doesn't happen, or it finally does happen, Right? It's just a miserable miracle to you. That's all it is. So here's another nugget of truth I'm going to give you. Right? This one's free. If you think harsh, negative, berating behavior towards someone is going to get them to change and get to God's best, 
If it doesn't work, you'll be angry. But if it does work and they change, you'll become miserable. And it creates inequity in the relationship. So if you're going to your spouse and it's just this harsh, negative, I got to get you to this place. And you may be right. I'm going to get you to here. But in this, I'm going to use this type of a demeanor. When they finally get there, it creates an inequitable situation where the one spouse is like a parent to a child. And that's, that's tough. The scripture gives a different way to do that. Peter says this, in the same way, wives, you should patiently accept the authority of your husbands. This is so that even if they don't obey God's word, as they observe your perfect, respectful behavior, they may be persuaded without a word by the way that you live. And the scripture also goes back to the husbands and say, listen, lay down your life for you would, like Christ laid down his life for the church, lay down for your wife. And if you do that, right, God can move. And so it says this, there is a way to do this so that when change happens, you can rejoice. And so James says, the prophets are patient. Be like a prophet. Don't judge. Speak the truth, but be there ready to rejoice when truth wins out. Does that make sense? Waiting for God's best. Don't circumvent the process. And it goes both ways. And finally, uh, he gives the third example. But most of all, brothers and sisters, wait, I'm sorry, for examples of patience, we give great honor to those who endure suffering. For an instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end for the Lord. He is full of tenderness and mercy. You know, Job lost everything. This guy lost his crops. He lost his family. His family was killed by terrorists. He lost his livestock. Uh, he, had a, he had a painful terminal a disease. He literally lost everything, and, and, and he didn't curse God, even though his wife had said, why don't you just get this over with? Job endured, cursed God, and died, even though his friends judged him harshly. Job said, even if God kills me, I'll still trust him. So James says this, that he had endurance in the midst of all the suffering that he was going through. He believed that God is merciful, and his best will always come through. And his best is always the best, even when he couldn't see it. And at the end of Job's life, it says, God restored everything to him that he had, and he doubled it. Like, who wants double, right? I think we all want double. So for those of you who are waiting for God's best, I say this, wait with patience and expectation, anticipation like a farmer. Wait for God's best without complaining like prophets. And wait with endurance like Job. And if you do this, here's your promise. Do I have on the screen the next one? Yeah. That God will give you. Do you know? Have you not? Don't you know this? Like, haven't you heard this before? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the covenant God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. Increases the power of the weak. He's like, don't you know this already? Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope and wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and they will not be faint. That's 
the promise to those of you who will wait for God's best and not take things in your own hand. There's another group that's probably listening today. You didn't wait for God's best. You sort of like tried to, you took things in your own hands. And now you're suffering because of it, some way, somehow. Like you're seeing the repercussions of your actions. Uh, you live in condemnation, mostly from yourself. From others, yes, but mostly from yourself. Um, but you have to ask yourself the question, right? Is God bigger than your mistake? Can the God of the covenant, in the midst of you doing your own thing, still keep his promise? That's what Abraham, this story. Like, the God of the covenant is the God of the covenant. His promises are true. He can restore your purity. He can stop the madness of your life. It may be a, a little tougher, but God can still give you an amazing marriage if both people will come to a place of repentance before the Lord. He turns mistakes into miracles. He does it all the time. And when he does it, when he takes the mistake and makes the miracles like he did with, with Abraham, he gets all the glory. Like, what, do you, what can you say at that point? Like, well, it wasn't me. It was the Lord. And I'm going to have um, the prayer, the worship team come forward. And, of course, we always have people over here that will pray for you at the end of service. And I, I'd like you to stand. And I think some of you right now need to hear the word that, that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and Abraham believed God, even though his actions didn't trust God. He believed God in his heart, and it was credited to him for, as righteousness. And right now, I just want to bring you back to that place. Do you believe that God is the God who always gives the best for your life? And I don't care where, where you're at. Maybe you made mistakes. Do you believe in your heart that God is the God who wants the best for your life? And if so, he's going to give it to you. And I just want to commend those of you who have, who have waited, whether that's wherever that is in, in love or things that you've just endured and waited patiently. And if it hasn't come, it will come. And you will go, oh, my word. <laughs> I'm going to soar like an eagle. Eagle, you know what I mean? I'm going to soar like an eagle. So, Father, we thank you that you are the God of the covenant who always keeps your promise no matter what we do, even when we try to do it in our own way, even when we take things in our own hands, even when we make a mess of it. Your covenant and promises are always true. I thank you for that. I'm overwhelmed by that, to be honest with you, Lord. I don't get it, but I'll take it. <laughs> and for those who've had patience, Lord, strengthen them. Keep their eyes on the prize that you always have the best. And I thank you that you are the God of the best. And uh, we receive that today in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our sermon. If you want to know more about us, you can find us at streamschurch.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you enjoyed this content, subscribe and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Till next time, have a great week.